0: Mm-hmm. There's words for this song in your bulletin. If you feel like you want to sing, you're welcome to sing along. This is a song by Michael Fronte. shit. and your life
1: In the words of Annie Dillard, we are here to abet creation and to witness to it, to notice each other's beautiful face and complex nature so that creation need not play to an empty house. Come, let us worship together.
0: may I be empty and open to receive may I be full and open to receive the light may I be full and open to receive may I be empty and open to receive the dark may I be
2: seated. That was beautiful, thank you. Well, good morning everybody. I'm Judy Goring, your worship leader for today. Whether you are physical or virtual sanctuary, in the social hall or family room, all are welcome. It's good to be together. Whether it's your first time or whether you're already familiar with this place, you are all an essential part of our celebration today and welcome. Our services are multi-generational, and they tend to be a little lively. Kids are welcome to sit right up in front or anywhere in the sanctuary. We have a playground down in front for our smallest congregants with a soft rug and many cool toys. There's a children's table in the back with some quiet activities. And for youngsters who could use me in a little more room to move around, the family room across the hall has toys and a live feed of our service. We are a people of many beliefs, many origins, sexualities, and genders. We are all growing, all learning, and all loved. You are all welcome here.
3: The story I want to share with you today uh, is told by Rachel Naomi Raymond, uh, who's a physician and an author, and who received this story from her grandfather, an Orthodox rabbi. When I was very small, my grandfather was my favorite person in the world. He called me by a very special name, Nashumala, which means little beloved soul. And he knew many, many stories. When I turned four, he gave me a very old story called the birthday of the world. It goes like this. In the beginning, there was only the holy darkness, the source of life. And then a great ray of light ended the darkness and the world was born. The world of a thousand thousand things. It was filled with light. And then perhaps because this is a Jewish story. There was an accident. And the light of the world broke into millions and millions of sparks of light. These sparks fell everywhere. They fell into everyone and everything. They fell into all of the people of every age and in every place. They fell into all the animals, all of them. They fell into all the fish in the ocean and all the birds in the sky. And they fell into all the plants and all the trees and into every family. And the sparks are still here today, hidden in everyone and everything. And that is why you were born, and I was born, and everyone was born. We were all born because we can each find the spark of light that is hidden in everyone and everything. And when we find it, we can become its friend. We can feed it and help it grow bigger and shine more brightly. We can help it grow so bright that it becomes visible once again, one spark at a time. I remember asking my grandpa that if the sparks of light are hidden and we cannot see them, how can we find them? Ah, Nishumala, said my grandpa. We can't see them with our eyes. We can only see them with our hearts. Only your heart can see the spark of light that is hidden in everyone and everything. When we are kind to people or listen to them or believe in them or love them or help them realize their deepest dreams, we help their spark grow bigger and brighter until their light shines out and fills up the world again, one spark at a time. And when it does, your own spark grows bigger and shines brighter and brighter. And I said, so the world is not broken. The light is still there. My grandpa smiled finally fondly at me and said, yes, Nishimala, the light is hidden, but the light is still there. It will always be there. And that changes everything. This is the story of the birthday of the world as it was given to me by my grandpa and now I give it to you. It is not just my story. It is your story too. one spark at a time. We can change the world back to the way it was at the beginning whole and filled with light. We are all healers of the world. This is the possibility. It's not about healing the world by making a huge difference. It's about healing the world that touches you.
4: Thank you, Mia. So the funny thing about meditation is that meditation is about our efforts to direct our attention in a single focus, as opposed to being about our success at directing our attention to a point of single focus. So it's super frustrating, and failing is actually an important part of meditation. The practice of failing is why meditation is good for us, good for us emotionally, good for us spiritually. And it's that repeated experience of being unable to focus, but still trying, still persisting, that experience that helps us become more aware of ourselves, more compassionate towards ourselves, and hopefully more compassionate in our lives in general. So it's this exposure that we get when we meditate, this exposure to the messy, broken, beautiful truths of our own inner lives that helps us see how much that we don't know. It tells us what we can't control and tells us what we don't understand. And it helps us to loosen our grip on the stories that we might be clinging to. And hopefully it allows us to shed what is no longer useful. And hopefully we can open ourselves up to more relaxation, more growth, more joy. All that through the act of meditating, failing at meditating. So find a comfortable seat in whatever way is appropriate for your body today. Maybe rest your feet on the floor or not. Feel where your hands are resting. Maybe take a deep breath. Let's sit in quiet together for a bit. What did we bring to church with us today? Maybe something we read in a newspaper or saw on the news. Maybe something from a conversation with a loved one or a friend. Maybe something we saw, some suffering that we can't let go. Whatever it is on your heart, let's share those concerns, those things that we're carrying as a common prayer, as a way of praying together and speaking those things into our shared sanctuary. So at the sound of the chime, share your cares. While all these, we add the prayers of this community. We joyously welcome Juniper Lee Valdez, the new child of our bookkeeper Jennifer Hack. <laughs> May their new family thrive. And we mourn with our facility host, Jules Wilson, as she grieves the passing of her grandmother, Mary Jane Chandos. May light perpetual shine upon Mary Jane. And we mourn with our music director, Susan Peck, at the passing of her father last week. May she feel that she is carried by the love of this congregation, and may light perpetual shine upon him. All these, we lift up to the highest intentions, the most healing and renewing powers that this congregation can hold. So let's join our hearts in prayer In Judaism, there are many names for God, like in Unitarian Universalism, where we name the holy with titles like Spirit of Life, or Love That Surrounds Us, or simply Mystery. Judaism uses many lovely invocations, such as the source, I will be what I will be, was, will be. The breath of all life, becoming terrifying one, reliable one. The list goes on. So however you're praying today, let's pray. On this memorial day, we mourn the lives lost by war. we rage at the betrayal of the idealism and honor of our service people by our leaders who incite meaningless wars for political and financial gain. We despair at the loss of civilian life in conflicts everywhere. May the day come when political persuasion by violence is truly a last resort. May the day come when our leaders use our country's blood and treasure to create safer and healthier and more just communities at home and abroad. May all who mourn, may all who mourn find comfort and peace on this day. For all who toss and turn at night, for all who sense a decline in their mental functioning for all who feel that something is wrong with their health, but they don't know what it is yet. For all those we pray for relief from anxiety. May healing and peace come to all. And we rejoice with all the people graduating, all the graduates with their praise of education and their accomplishments. May their hard work be rewarded with satisfying and well-paying careers. And in this theological month of creation, we celebrate the creation all around us. We celebrate even the miller moths, who freak us out when we open our front doors at night, but who also pollinate flowers and feed birds. We celebrate rivers high with water, acequias irrigating, and streams bubbling. And we celebrate mushroom networks that connect everything. We celebrate all nature with its ability to teach us and also fill us with awe. May we always stay connected to the wild world of which we are a part. May it be so. Peace be with you.
0: But the answers are not outside, they're inside each one of us. the
1: absorbed in that music I could have forgotten to get up here. <laughs> so beautiful. All through May, we've been talking about the theme of creation. Bob and Catherine Probasco and Sarah Wofford created a Beltane-themed service for the first Sunday of the month. Beltane, a pagan celebration of fertility as spring ripens towards summer. On the second Sunday, Mother's Day, Reverend Amani Malaika preached about the Divine Mother, about divine feminine energy. She's told stories of Oshun from the Yoruba tradition. Oshun, who transforms herself into a vulture, flies past the sun, and brings sweet water down to earth to protect and sustain life. And of Shakti from the Hindu tradition, who angered Shiva when she woke him up and used the energy of his fury as she created a new world. And of Julian of Norwich, the 14th century Christian mystic who spoke of God as a mother. On the third Sunday, last Sunday, Kristin Famula put together a service about the Big Bang, the scientific story that is as rich as any ancient myth or parable I've ever heard. 100 billion galaxies, and out of the waters in this one, bacteria, algae, jellyfish, trilobites, shellfish, and sharks, life's creaturely ancestors. I appreciate all of the lay and ordained leaders who helped create these marvelous services while I was recovering from surgery for the last three Sundays. It is great to be back this morning. This week happens to be the week of shavuot a jewish holiday that celebrates the giving of the torah on mount sinai the torah is the hebrew bible it begins with a section called bereshit which means in the beginning bereshit is also known as genesis it's the part of the hebrew bible and of the christian bible where god creates the world Now, most of us are probably familiar with the creation story in Genesis because some UUs are also Jewish, as is Mia Noren, our director of Religious Ed, who just told that story. And many more UUs were raised learning these stories in UU or Christian churches. And even if you weren't, though... Christianity has such a heavy influence on American politics and culture that a historically Christian interpretation of the creation story wields an impact that would be hard to miss. It's explicitly invoked, for example, to support fundamentalism. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, right? For that little catchy bumper sticker of a phrase. It's used to support domination and exploitation, God gave man dominion over the earth and everyone else on it. And the story is invoked implicitly in the idea that women are responsible for tempting men into bad behavior, just as Eve gives Adam a forbidden fruit. If you've ever been told nonsensically that as a woman you should dress modestly to avoid being harmed by a man. That is what I am talking about, that kind of thing. There are many varieties of Christianity, of course, and the progressive ones certainly do not agree with these things, not at all. But unfortunately, those tend not to be the loudest voices in our American public square. And the loudest Christian voices about Genesis also tend to take it very literally, as in this story really happened about 6,000 or so years ago, and there were no trilobites because those went extinct 250 million years ago, and 250 million years ago never did happen. But that is a fundamentalist Christian take on what is actually originally a Jewish text. So for this fourth and final Sunday in our creation series I've asked Bob and Judy to help me read Genesis chapter 1 and the first few lines of chapter 2 and if you've heard it before I invite you to listen to it now with fresh ears noticing if there are things you had forgotten or maybe even some things you had never noticed before. So from the Hebrew Bible, Bereshit or Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 4. In the beginning of God's creation of the heavens and the earth, now the earth was astonishingly empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And God said,
4: Let there be light.
1: (laughs) And there was light. I
4: I thought God was a four foot 11 woman with a Texas accent?
1: Yes, that was last month that God was a four foot 11 woman with a Texas accent. (laughs) And God saw that the light was good. And God separated between the light and between the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And it was evening, and it was morning, one day. And God said,
2: Let there be an expanse in the midst of the water, and let it be separation between water and water.
1: And God made the expanse, and it separated between the water that was below the expanse and the water that was above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and it was evening, and it was morning, a second day. And God said,
4: Let the water that is beneath the heavens gather into one place, and let the dry land appear.
1: And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters God called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the
2: earth sprout vegetation, seed yielding herbs, fruit trees producing fruit according to its kind, in which its seed is found
1: on the earth. And it was so. And the earth gave forth vegetation, seeds yielding herbs, and trees producing fruit. And God saw that it was good. And it was evening, and it was morning, a third day. And God said...
4: Let there be luminaries in the expanse of the heavens, to separate between the day and the night. And they shall be for signs, and for appointed seasons, and for days and years. And they shall be for luminaries in the expanse of the heavens, to shed light upon the earth.
1: And it was so. And God made the two great luminaries, the great luminary to rule the day, and the lesser luminary to rule the night, and the stars. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to shed light upon the earth, and to rule over the day, and over the night, and to separate between the light and the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and it was evening, and it was morning, a fourth day. And God said,
2: Let the waters swarm with living creatures, and let fowl fly over the earth, across the expanse of the heavens.
1: And God created the great sea monsters, and every living creature that crawls, with which the waters swarmed, according to their kind, and every winged fowl, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying,
4: Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the fowl multiply upon the earth.
1: And it was evening, and it was morning, a fifth day. And God said,
2: Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, cattle and creeping things and the beasts of the earth according to their
1: kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth and the cattle and all the creeping things of the ground, and God saw that it was good. And God said,
4: Let us make man in our image after our likeness, And they shall rule over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the heaven, and over the animals, and over all the earth, and over all the creeping things that creep upon the earth.
1: And God created man in God's image. In the image of God, he created man. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and rule
2: over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the sky, and over all the beasts that tread upon the earth. And God said,
4: Behold, I have given you every seed-bearing herb which is upon the surface of the entire earth, and every tree that has seed-bearing fruit. It will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and to all the fowl of the heavens, and to everything which moves upon the earth, in which there is a living spirit, every green herb to eat.
1: And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and it was evening, and it was morning, the sixth day. Now the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their host. And God completed on the seventh day his work that he did, and he abstained on the seventh day from all his work that he did. And God blessed the seventh day, and he hallowed it, For thereon he abstained from all his work that God created to do. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created, on the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. There ends the reading. I mean, it was good. We could applaud. (laughs) a very good reading I would say. The earth was astonishingly empty. What a phrase. God makes light and then separates it from the darkness. So was it combined before? What what is light that it can be mixed with dark? God separates water from water and the space is called the heavens. So in this story it sounds like above the sky there's more water out there somewhere. Perhaps this explains why it falls through the atmosphere. Then dry land and plants and moon, sun and stars. and Sea creatures and birds and other animals. And finally humans made in the image of God. Though the text says us made in our image. And on the seventh day at the end of chapter 2 verse 4 God rests. But not for long, because the story actually doesn't end right there. It does something really curious after that. It kind of rewinds. In the very next verse, verse 5, the text says, Now there was no tree or herb or people of the earth. And then God makes a man out of dust and divine breath, or spirit, and then makes a bunch of animals to try to keep the man company, but the man is still lonely, and I'll bet you've heard this version of the story more than the other one. And so God makes the man fall into a deep sleep and then takes one of the man's sides and makes a partner a woman. So there were two stories about people and animals being created. And in the first, God seems to make two humans at once. And in the second, it seems like maybe God intends to just make one human, but decides a second one is needed. Oh, what would it have been like if he had just stopped there, right? (laughs) So what are we supposed to make of that? Ancient rabbis surmised that perhaps the two stories are not two different stories at all, but rather the second one is an elaboration on the first. In the first story, as we heard, the text says that God creates people in God's image. Male and female, God created them. And ancient rabbis surmised that perhaps this first human being was both male and female. This is not a big leap theologically, because in addition to male and female, ancient Jewish holy texts describe four other genders. And these genders appear hundreds of times in writings about laws, marriage, inheritance, rituals, and other issues. Modern Rabbi Elliot Kukla explains, when a child was born in the ancient Jewish world, the child could be designated as a boy, a girl, a tumtum who is neither clearly male nor female, or an androgynos who has both male and female characteristics based on physical features. There were two more gender designations that form later in life. The ilonit is considered female at birth but develops in an atypical direction. The saris is designated male at birth but later becomes a eunuch. Kukla notes that these ancient categories are not the exact equivalents of modern gender identities, but they make it clear that non-binary and gender diverse people have always existed and have always been recognized by Judaism. So it makes sense that perhaps the first human to appear in the creation story was more than we might have assumed. Some ancient Jewish interpretations of this story imagine that the first human had two faces on opposite sides of the body so then consider this in chapter two we've often heard it said that God causes the person to fall asleep and then uses Adam's rib to make Eve right we've probably heard you've probably heard Adam's rib, but close to the heart is what I was told when I was in a Christian day school as a little kid at some point but another way to translate the Hebrew is to say that as he slept, God took one of his sides. So God takes one of the person's sides, one apart from the other, separating the first person into male and female. That is a different perspective on a familiar story from the people who told it first, the Jewish people. The legend of Lilith is another Jewish legend that explains the two stories in a totally different way. According to that legend, the woman in the first story is Lilith, not Eve. Lilith had long hair and wings, and she considered herself Adam's equal, but Adam kept trying to dominate her. When she grew tired of it, she stormed off, out of the garden, muttering God's forbidden name as she went. She goes on to become the mother of demons, and she torments people in some pretty classically medieval ways, and she appears in Jewish supernatural folklore, including as a spirit that can travel through mirrors. She also became a feminist icon, and the independent Jewish feminist magazine Lilith is named after her. Jewish feminist theologian Judith Plaskow adds to the legend in her book called The Coming of Lilith. Plaskow tells a story about Eve catching a glimpse of the banished Lilith. Eve had heard terrible things about her, had even heard that she was a demon. Once when Lilith tries to re-enter the garden, Adam gets nervous and builds a bigger wall enlisting Eve to help him. But he can't stop the two from meeting. And when Eve finally spots Lilith, to her surprise, what she sees is not a scary demon, but a woman like herself. She'd never seen another woman before, and she admires her. She looks so strong and so brave. And after thinking about this for a long time, Eve gathers up her courage and she swings herself over the wall. Before long, she finds Lilith. Who are you? They ask each other and the two of them talk for hours. And this happens not once, but many times. Plaskow writes, the women speak of the past and the future, and they teach each other many things and tell each other stories and laugh and cry over and over until a bond of sisterhood grows between them. Finally, Eve leads Lilith back into the garden. Adam and God, having sensed that something was changing, are unsettled yet expectant when they see that the two women are filled with a great sense of possibility, ready to rebuild paradise together. At the heart of Jewish tradition is a tradition of wrestling with and debating the meaning of holy texts and of Haggadot, which are legends, parables, and anecdotes that illustrate points of Jewish teachings. So you've just heard a couple of those. And we heard another such story from Mia this morning when she retold The Birthday of the World, which is a story that originally comes from Kabbalistic or mystical Judaism. What is the value of continuing to tell ancient creation stories? and to dream about them and retell and elaborate them as we like to do as humans. Especially when we have such an incredible scientific one now, right? Creation stories are by definition about the past, at least on their surface, they're about something that exists now that was created. But there's so much more than that too, they aren't just about how one world was created one time they can also serve to teach us about how worlds are created all the time all our lives worlds are dying and new worlds are being created all the time on the micro level and that's you you are micro you're not a very big deal compared to hundred billion galaxies But it is a really big deal for you when your personal world collapses and a new one is made. And worlds are dying and new worlds are being created on larger levels too. We are living right now in an in-between time in the history of humankind when human-made systems that are unsustainable are accelerating toward their inevitable conclusion. Systems of domination and oppression are being dismantled and we see a backlash against that. A crackdown of oppressive laws. Laws that encroach on the most private parts of our bodies and our lives. Laws are meant to constrain and to control and laws that are meant to prevent people from even talking about these oppressions, from even talking about being gay or being trans or about systemic racism and its deep roots. So there's a struggle between an old world that is trying very desperately to the point of frenzy and violence to hang on and a new world that is right now right at this moment being made. It's being made whenever what was never life sustaining in the old one begins to crack and break. And it's being made when we actively work toward it, when we nurture resilience in ourselves and in our communities, when we embrace change, when we draw the circle wider, when we show up and speak up, and when we muster up our courage. The new world is made when we feel fearful, and instead of letting our fear stop us and make us be stuck, we let it motivate us, because we know it is telling us what is precious to us. The new world is made when we rest because we know that we are not trying to make a new world out of exhaustion, anxiety, and death. Not again. But we are trying to make it out of relationships, wellness, love, and sustainability. So creation stories contain time-tested wisdom to guide our way From Beltane, all that we need is already growing on fertile ground. Tend that, celebrate that, and make bonfires as big as your joy. From the divine feminine, there's a source of nurturing and protection. It might show up unexpectedly. Receive it. From the big bang, we're reminded that wherever we think we are in the grand scheme, There's more, right? There's just a lot more, more to come. And what we're doing right now helps to shape it. It's going to evolve from and it's going to reflect those who adapt. And those who did not adapt are going to become a dry bed of fossils. And in Genesis, we have a story of improvisation, I think. The process of creation involves doing things and seeing whether they're good trying them out, and reserving the right to make adjustments or even to start over, if that's what's needed. As I close, I'm thinking about that story by Rachel and Naomi Remen that Mia retold. She received, Rachel Naomi Remen received that story from her grandfather, who is an Orthodox rabbi. And I love this idea that we're all healers, able to touch the world that touches us, right? We can't do all of it. We're not God, whether we believe in God or not, I like to say. Whether you believe or not, you are not God. We can all agree on that. But we all are, in a way, co-creators. And I think that's the wisdom of a story where we are made in that image, right? Healers, co-creators, affecting what touches us and what we touch. So may all of our being, our ways of being and creating be for blessing.
2: Our change for the future partner for March through May is seed to need. Reducing hunger in our community by growing fresh fruits and vegetables for donation to local food pantries to the tune of 725,000 pounds since 2008. You can donate to Seed to Need by dropping your loose change in the collection box or by using the envelope on the back of the chair by writing CFF on the envelope. When Moses brought the Ten Commandments down from Mount Sinai, Those commandments set forth a pathway to living a meaningful life. The commandments are a covenant. As Unitarians, we live our covenant through our eight principles. We extend our reach and our impact when we share what we have, our time, our money, our talents. And that's even more powerful when we do it together. The gifts you give support the many communities of this church. We will now gratefully receive the offering.
0: how we walk duh
4: On behalf of First Unitarian, on behalf of First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque and Seed to Need, we receive this generosity with gratitude. Blessings upon the work of this church and the work of this church in the community.
2: We have a couple of invitations for you this morning. On June fourth, we'll have a very special service. Kristen and the other ministers will lead us in a UU tradition called the flower, communion, or ceremony. This year is the 100th anniversary. Yes, the 100th anniversary of this special celebration. And we are excited to join UUs around the world in honoring this day. Please bring a flower of any kind from your garden, from the store, from the farmer's market, (laughs) to the service that day where we'll be gathered with all the other unique flowers in this special ritual. And if you are interested in bringing a few extra flowers so that our visitors that day are able to participate, that is greatly appreciated. Bob, I think you have one too.
4: Yeah, and and if you should forget to bring a flower, it's okay, we're gonna have extras for you. So you are covered. And you are also invited to a pride parade painting party. Pride Parade Painting Party, I love that. Put on your work clothes, come help create our parade entry for this year's Pride Parade. The group's gonna meet in the RE playground at 10 a.m. next Saturday, this coming Saturday, June 3rd. Then be sure to mark your calendar for June 10th, because that's when the parade actually is. And everyone is invited to participate, bring friends, it's super joyous, it's awesome to show up and say that progressive religion is out here and alive and we're not Trans or homophobic, so love it. So we, I have a question for you. By any chance, are you tearing your hair out over someone who's seems to make everything more difficult? That could be at home or work or, or believe it or not, church. <laughs> and so you may have, in, in this process, have, have like focused all your attention on how to change them. But what could you do differently in this relationship? There is an upcoming leadership training about that. So the Reverend Jake Morrill is a UU minister from Tennessee, phenomenal person. He's coming to First U on the afternoon of June 18th. That's a couple Sundays from now, three Sundays from now. He's going to lead a training where you'll learn some new perspectives and strategies on these kinds of relationships, some practical tools for trying something completely new and perhaps more effective. And I can personally vouch for Reverend Jake He is the clergy coach that Angelo and I use to keep our relationship so strong, and we've seen firsthand how effective he is. So it's a special leadership training opportunity. (laughs) She still has hair. (laughs) Four years ago when I came to this church, I had hair. Anyways, the training is $75 per person. There needs to be an intim- a minimum of eight folks to sign up to for it to run. So if you want to sign up, check this week's eBroadsheet or call the office. So, really worthwhile time spent with a, a really genius trainer. Anyways, are there any folks here who are here for the first or second time? We'd love to, if you'd wave your hand. Hi, all right. Whoa, lots of you. Let's do a warm applause. Thanks for coming out. Be sure to check in at the welcome welcome table if you're interested, and there's coffee in the social hall that way, immediately following the service, so coffee is a sacrament for us here at Unitarian Universal. I invite everyone to rise and body your spirit for a greeting for all. One hand on your heart, the other hand out to your companions on the journey. Blessed be.
1: friends go in peace and may love bless you and keep you until we are gathered again blessed be
0: Thank you.